Königstein Road in the east to Casitas Gap in the west, and the orange curtain is descended across the Ojai Valley. This is Ojai Talk of the Town. It's Brett Bradigan, editor of Ojai's Magazines, the quarterly and monthly. Lauren Nichols, the owner of Local Bath Box, an array of locally sourced and manufactured bath products delivered to its subscribers, started her business the very day her son was born. He's now five months old, so both the business and the baby are growing up together. With another young child in the house as well, and with both her and her husband, a film editor, working from home during the pandemic, it didn't seem like the most auspicious time or circumstance in which to start a new business. The fact that Lauren did, and is succeeding, means she's got a lot of lessons to share. Let's see what she can tell us. Hey Lauren, thanks for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, I'm very excited to have you on. You've uh, showed me some of your product, and I'm very excited about that. So I figure we'll just jump right into it. Tell us, right. tell us what you got going on. Yeah. So I just launched Local Bath Box. Um, it's a subscription-based business of all. Uh, locally sourced bath and wellness goods, so exclusively from Ventura and Santa Barbara counties. Um, we have a focus on natural, sustainably produced goods, low plastic usage, as well as um, all just natural ingredients and locally sourced ingredients wherever possible. So every month people will get this lovely box with uh, some products. Mm-hmm. Uh, locally made, uh, sustainably sourced. Uh, I noticed, uh, well, we'll talk more about the whole process of manufacture and stuff because there's a lot of these makers out there now that I find it great. You go to the farmer's markets, not just here in Ojai, but Santa Barbara and, and Ventura, and you'll see a lot of these people with their products. It's really um, gratifying that this area supports that um, you know, a closer connection between what we use and the people who make it. Now, how did you get into this? What, how did this, is this your main hustle or is this your side hustle? This is my main hustle now, which is... Uh, excellent. So <laughs> yeah. was it your side hustle and now it's your main hustle? Yeah, it was my si- side hustle for a while. Um, actually, I had the idea for about 10 years now, and I was very busy with, um, I worked primarily as an affordable housing developer as a senior project manager, so that kept me very busy, but on the weekends or nights, I would like to make soaps, and I always have had such a fond affinity for, um, you know, crafting things made with local ingredients and low waste, um, and then, you know, supporting local artisans wherever possible versus buying through big box retail stores. Procter & Gamble, exactly. Johnson & yeah. Johnson. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. So it, this company kind of uh, checks all the boxes for me personally, how I like to source my goods for myself and my family. So my ultimate goal is to really transform the way that we source our personal care products. Um, so starting out small, uh, slow growth is my goal right now. <laughs> slow growth. That's Get my, my processes. Yep. Um, but we're so fortunate to live here in Ojai, where there are so many talented makers with access to. Yeah, I saw your supplier grades. list or your vendor list there. It was quite impressive, like over 30 lo- local 
manufacturers, 30 local makers on your list? Um, right now we have 12, I think, local artisans and at least four local farms. So, okay. Mm -hmm. oh, I wonder where I got 30 from. But the, still, that's, that's impressive. So the idea would be that they, do you work with them like about what you want to put together for a box? Is there like a theme? I know you said had like a Father's Day box, which is cool, and yeah. Father's Day box. And yeah, so um, every, so it's seasonally themed, which kind of draws us apart from a lot of the competition in terms of subscription-based boxes. Yeah, well, let's talk about the competition because I don't know, I'm not aware of any. Okay. There so you haven't, they well, haven't I mean, got you yet with this. No, they haven't. I have seen uh, subscriber boxes. You know, I think it started with like Men's Shave Club or something. It's the first time. That's why, yep. Yeah. Um, obviously, it didn't work for me. <laughs> I did bring you a shave gear by Vogue, if you'd like to try oh, it out. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. My husband is scruffy as well, but he, he does like that soap a lot. So. All right, I'll check that out. <laughs> Yeah. So what, um, you know, is the, now, I love as a, you know, entrepreneur myself, I love that, that moment when your side hustle becomes your main hustle. That's like so exciting mm -hmm. and scary. Mm -hmm. I mean, even terrifying. What was that like for you? Did you have to swing, did you have to swing from one vine to the other or were you holding on to the one vine while you're grabbing onto the other? How did that go? Yeah, is a there a moment of, of free fall is what I'm trying to <laughs> I've been having so much fun. The past six months is when I officially launched. And actually, so five months, because my son just turned five months here, five months. Oh, oh my goodness. Whoa, yes. you started like the day he was born? Yes. Wow. <laughs> you figure you'd have other things on your mind, other things to occupy, your, except starting a business. You know what? It just seemed... Like we, not to get into too many of the details, but um, I had my ideal birth with him and um, with my daughter, I had a very traumatic birth. And so I felt like after having this all natural, amazing birth process with my son, I could literally do anything. And I feel like I'm oh, you still felt like a superwoman. Oh, yeah. I'm yeah. still riding those endorphins. So, yeah. No uh, <laughs> postpartum for you, huh? Um, a little bit here and there, but for the most part, no. Yeah. Well, it helps to have something, you know. To focus on. Yeah, to actively engage yourself. Now, I'm, I'm imagining that there's a lot of moving parts to put something together like this. How, how does that work when you've got a newborn? And how old's your daughter? My daughter is three. Oh, my goodness. That's not the most helpful age. <laughs> they, they want to help. But their ability to actually help isn't isn't great. It's been a bit chaotic, so it's a huge lesson in patience for me, which I'm double Aries, so I need to learn more patience. Double Aries. So every double Aries <laughs> needs to learn patience, okay. Yeah. Only double much. Aries. The rest of us don't. Okay. You know, I don't know too far about other signs. <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, a huge lesson in patience. I, I just hired some help, which I'm so thrilled about. So she's kind of like a mother's helper to me. She'll help care for the kids when needed and help, um, you know, on packing days and fulfillment. Yeah. Um, so I that's been that's, a great help. Uh, that's quite a process. It is. How many boxes did you say? You're like 225 boxes? Uh, total, I've shipped out around 250 in my first three months of operation. 
We're up to 75 subscribers right now, um, which my goal was 55 for the first three months. So um, you did that comfortably. Yeah. And how many, uh, what is the subscription? What do you mean? Yeah, how much is it? Oh, so my next release is coming out in just a few days, and it'll be $42.99 a month. Um, and you get two soaps guaranteed in every box, and then two to three surprise items. So there's an, okay. an element of fun and surprise Yeah, there. I know that's one of the big selling points for gift boxes or subscriber boxes, is that you don't know exactly what you're going to get. It's like, now, is there on the website, I didn't see, like, intake questionnaire like people describe some of their preferences and such and then you can sort of like throw something in there that's a little more bespoke or right some base of, or you figure that the people who are there already for something that's fairly specific with bath products this is this is their world they already yeah, so um, I'm asking customers to take a little bit of a risk and trust in me um, in that they don't know exactly what's going to be on the box, but you know that it's going to be sourced locally. You know that it's very high quality ingredients, small batched, um, produced on a seasonal scale versus, you know, a huge yeah, scale. Sure. Uh-huh. And um, I would like to offer more customer preferences in the future. Um, my goal is to offer, you know, more unique customization options yeah. in January. Um, but I'm finding that the e-commerce side of things is, is very tricky to be able to offer that. So I'm learning e-commerce <laughs> as well. Yeah, learn as you go. That's yeah. the best way. I think a lot of these projects, if we understood everything that goes into them, we probably wouldn't do it. <laughs> and that it just kind of builds its own momentum that once you, you know, what do they say? Jump off a cliff and grow wings as you fall. That's right. <laughs> or, um, yeah, I think that's important. Um, you know, like Goethe said, act boldly and the universe will align itself with you or something to that effect. And it's, it's, I'm totally finding that to be true right now. I read The Alchemist at age 14 and was like, okay. I've heard about that book that pa Paulo Coelho, and what is it? He's like on a trout on a journey or something. Yeah, it's based on a fictional character, and um, he's on a journey of kind of self-discovery, but there's the Arabic term maktab. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that exactly correctly, but it's just follow your heart's desire, and the whole world conspires to help you. So I, I do feel like I'm in that space right now, um, and I'm so grateful because... That's not always the case with life. <laughs> no, it isn't. But I just, uh, I'm a big Robert Greene fan who wrote um, uh, Mastery. It was one of his books about the intensity of people's creative experience and how they end up shaping the world more than the world shapes them. There's like a certain inflection point in their efforts. And obviously, Leonardo da Vinci is, is one of those, how... He, you know, grew up poor, but he had access to paper because his dad was an his, um, he was an illegitimate son, but he was able to get paper from his uh, father, who was an accountant, and just uh, he just represented the world as he saw it, and it was mm -hmm. just like uh, such an amazing experience. But anyway, Robert Greene, one of his proteges, wrote a book called "The Obstacle Is the Way," which is getting a lot yeah. of attention now. Mm -hmm. And that's a Ryan Holiday book. But 
I know it's real popular with like NFL players for some reason. I think hmm. a couple coaches got a hold of it, and then, and it's very much what you're saying that even if the universe doesn't appear to be conspiring with you, the fact that wherever you meet resistance, that's where you put your energy because that's yes. telling you something. Yes. That's where, that's where the rubber hits the road. Yeah, you know? I've learned to um, get comfortable with that feeling, and when now when it's like you know, a little bit of fear or anxiety or something around newness comes up. It's like being able to, to think about it in a way that is exciting. And I know that'll be um, an opportunity for growth and excitement. So yeah. what is your growth plans? Like, what is that? What is your optimal future look like with, uh, with the bath box and beyond bed, you know, bath box and beyond? You want the one year, five year, ten year? No, just like <laughs> imagine uh, your optimal scenario. Okay. Yeah. So um, I want you know everyone in Ventura County to be able to subscribe to one box, and you get um, locally produced toilet paper. Anything from toilet paper to luxury facial oils or hydrosols. And you could customize it in one box, and it's delivered to your door. And this is something that uh, everyone would want. I think so. Yeah. Everyone uses TP, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Not me anymore. I got oh. the tushy. I got a bidet. Attention. Oh, lucky. Yeah. <laughs> Toto. <laughs> you still need toilet paper, just radically less. Yeah. Yeah, and I also want to... Um, haven't figured out quite the legal structure yet, but similar to a franchise where if someone in Hawaii wanted to create a local bath box, um, you know, especially a female entrepreneur, maybe a mom at home that's <coughs> struggling like me um, with time and, and resource management, they could say, okay, Lauren, I want to sign up for a local bath box, pay a fee, I give them everything to start it. Yeah, and do all the back office running. stuff. Yep help them set up the relationships with the vendors and help them identify them too. Although I imagine the people who would look to you for a franchise opportunity would probably already know like some interesting vendors. Yeah. Or some combination thereof. Yeah, that would be the the local component for sure that they have, you know, the boots on the ground are able to connect yeah. with the makers and know what's in season and and then are there makers who would, like, get into this franchise as well? Maybe I'm, I'm just thinking beyond, like, the, you know, the usual suspects. Like, there's probably people who would be really good at this that don't even, don't even know, you know, until they start looking at the big picture. How to scale up. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's a f And it's been interesting um, connecting with makers of, you know, various scales and production times. And so that's one of the big questions, the question marks oh, I have. Oh, yeah, there's timing up. issues. And who of right. your vendors are able to fulfill these orders and um, I've are got reliable a few. enough? I've got a few that are have been very reliable um, and just uh, clear communication, easy to work with, which I, I highly value. Um, I'll just shout out one of which is Bogue Milk Soap, based in yeah. Ojai. They've been fantastic. Yeah, they've fantastic. been around for 10 years, right? Something like that? They have, At yeah. At the farmer's market, I see their stuff, and it always looks so pretty and smells so good. That's one of the things I liked about the products is they're irregularly shaped. 
And, you know, the I'm not sure what it is about that that makes that so attractive, but it is. It's They're like you know that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that's it. Yeah, you got it. It's like it's not not cookie cutter or not soap molded. It's Right. Yeah, it's chunks. Yeah, so I do the crystal-inspired soaps, which is like another fun component where um, each month you get a soap that it looks like an actual gemstone, um, and so that's paired with the season. So, for example, June was our lavender theme, so we have lots of amazing lavender farms right here in Ojai, um, and so we sourced essential oil and the, the buds from the lavender farms and then I created an amethyst crystal soap um, that just kind of goes around goes along with the lavender theme so that's one example and what uh, you know how did where did that where does these ideas come from have you seen like <laughs> I mean like seriously there must be some model for this for the whole, like the crystal soaps or the whole? Well, whole that, let's start with the crystal soaps. Like. So there are geode soaps um, that I've found that. Really? Now, how? They, they would be hollow. I don't understand how. Well, how they're that more works. like. They're more like, there's a whole soaping world out there. That a whole is. soaping world. <laughs> the soaping world. They got the episode <laughs> title. <laughs> Um, but people get really into making soaps that look like different objects, um, yeah. especially with kids. I think that that's really like fun and unique. A fun craft. And I have a theory about it. Um, my theory is that, so but I don't know if you've ever heard that, you know, whatever you put on your skin could be in, ingested into your bloodstream within 26 seconds. No, I'm not. I'm aware that especially solvents like DMSO and others almost immediately break that the skin barrier. Right. But yeah, I never really thought about that. So, um, you know, one of the ethos out there is farm to bath. So farm to bath. Yeah. You're taking farm to everywhere. You can go from a farm to yeah. So all like if you're using high quality ingredients and you're putting it on your skin, people have like a natural love and um I don't know, just like intrigue about soaps, um, and and so. Well, I think it's uh, Fight Club is where people have their fascination <laughs> with soaps. That too, for <laughs> sure. That one. At least men. <laughs> yeah, this uh, these don't usually use uh, any animal fat except for the bogue milk soap. They do use goat milk soap, but uh, on the other end of the spectrum, they are. But that's vegan. basically soap is. Two, it's just the two ingredients. It's a lye and fat. Mm -hmm. So it could be any fat, and it could be any lye. I imagine most lye is made from wood ash. Um, these, that's kind processes. of the, that. Yeah, that's the old school way. Like people would just use wood ash. Um, I would. I get sodium hydroxide. It just comes in like a tablet form now. Um, you could mm -hmm. also use like a um, a natural. It's actually a soap nut. It's a plant. For your saponification, um, is that what I it's have, called? Saponification, the process of the lye, or just the the combination of the two? The combination of the two, so becoming. So there's soap. like a what is the chemical reaction that goes on? Because soap and oil are two very different acting materials. So yeah. some kind of alchemy happens in between. It does. I should have brushed up on my chemistry, but prior. Oh, no, you need to know right now. It's okay. going to be a quiz. <laughs> 
I, don't, I have really no idea, but it is fascinating the, how you get from something that cleans off oil from something that is oil. It's uh, counterintuitive. Yeah, and it's a very old process. It's very cool. Yeah, and if, for people who want to know, go watch Fight Club again, and they'll explain it all to you. <laughs> there you go, Great exactly. vivid detail. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so when did you... When did you, you say you've been interested in the soap world for a long time. What was that, that about? When's the first time you actually cooked some up? Um, probably about 10 years ago, I would say. Um, yeah. But before that, just experimenting with different natural body products, and that was just a response to um, the, the vast amount of chemicals that are hidden in our personal care products. Yeah. So. Anybody that who wants to really get terrified, you go look at the ingredients on like a conditioner or a cream, body, a skin cream, and just all the sodium, laurel, ethylates, and everything else goes on and on. And maybe they're perfectly benign, I don't know. Yeah, so actually our melt and pour soap, the crystal soaps, um, I'm, I'm in the process of sourcing more clean ingredients but there in all transparency it does contain sls which is sodium lauryl sulfate so i'm trying to move away from that what is that um scent it's no it's a a lathering agent so it's it's even in our toothpaste it's even in some some food Mm. items um but every ingredient i look up through the ewg um, website and it has a rating from zero to five and so anything that's over a one i don't put in any ingredients in the box i mean it's more industrial or broken down into uh, some chemical constituent or yeah it, it could be a list of a, a constituent of emerging concern by the us epa it could just be known to um create hor- you know, hormone disruption or endocrine disruption. Yeah, which is a big, big problem with plastics. I know the right. whole food chain has been, uh, and it shows up in all kinds of strange ways, not just like sperm counts, but, you know, three-legged frogs and all kinds of weird stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah, and it's just there's no reason to really have that stuff in our personal care items. Yeah. So Now, what was uh, I thinking... You mentioned, uh, I'm trying to, no, I'm losing my chain of thought. I had something there about, oh, I know, um, one ingredient that I've always, you know, whenever I hike in the spring, one of my favorite plants is the mountain lilac or mm. uh, ceanothus. Mm-hmm. And when you rub those between your hands, they lather up. It makes a really nice, oh. pleasant lather. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, you should check Taught it out. Something. Maybe so that's the ceanothus like, does that. Yeah, the mountain lilacs, which okay. only around in like late April through end of May, something like that. It depends on okay. the year. They had a terrible bloom this year. There's another lathering plant with, uh, well, every you know, the yucca roots. Mm-hmm. But there's another cactus flower that lathers up too. I don't know. But that's an interesting thing as well because I think with the lathering, it becomes a surfactant and it removes the dirt and all the other Mm -hmm. debris. I think that's what that whole process is about. Yep. Very cool. So you just gave me an idea for our next spring box. Mountain lilac. Mountain lilac. (laughs) Sounds better than Cianopis. It does. (laughs) So um, what about you? Where did you grow up? Right here in town? Yeah. Um, I know your mom. So uh, Veronica worked at the Ohio Valley Inn for a long time. I think it was like the Inn's glory days when they had Merrill. 
your mom, Anna Olson, Dad Highland. That was like a pretty good crew. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. My mom's great. She helps me watch my kids, actually, when I'm doing this, too. Yeah, that's that's like the revenge of the grandma. (laughs) But, yeah, we we actually grew up in Camarillo, and then um, um, she's been in Ojai for, I, I don't know, 15, 20 years now. And I, um, I went to school back east, and then um, my husband. Now you went and I to Boston there. University. Uh, no, I went to a, a small private school called Leslie University, and then um, Tufts University for grad school. And where, where is this? Um, I Leslie know is. Where Tufts is, but I can't remember. I thought it was upstate New York. Somewhere. Slumoville, Slumoville. Slumoville. <laughs> Where's that? <laughs> Somerville, it's right outside of Boston. Uh, oh, Slummerville. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I got it. Yeah. The raggedy outposts of Boston, yep. is that what it's supposed to be? Uh-huh. So would that be a westy, though? That wouldn't be a southy or a northy, huh? Yeah, basically a westy if there was yeah. such a Is there term. a lot of wicked pisses there? Oh, yeah, wicked pisses. Fuck the cop, Hobby Yad. <laughs> Hobby Yad, brainiacs. <laughs> So the, the first school I went to was right in the shadows of Harvard, we called it, because it was like this little tiny private school, and then you look over... When you say tiny, what's the enrollment? Oh, gosh. I don't... It's so small. I don't even... I don't know. I think like there was... Like several hundred. Yeah. Yeah. Tiny. And why? Why did you attend this school? Um, well, I had just gotten done with um, a stint with the CCC, the California Conservation Corps, and I lived for six months in the backcountry of Yosemite. Oh, wow. I've heard that's a great experience, and I'm glad to, that the CCC is still putting kids to work on trails and building those backcountry shelters. And what else? What kind of other Absolutely. work did you do? Um, it was mostly trail maintenance. So, um, so, you know, a McLeod, you know how to work a McLeod. A McLeod, yeah. I got to be on the, the chainsaw crew for a solid week, which was so fun, just being in the backcountry, carrying a chainsaw, and meeting hikers along the way. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty surprised to see us. And then they set you up in, like, bunks, and sort of like almost like a paramilitary organization, huh? Not even bunks. We were in the backcountry. We got our meals. Oh, yeah. And oh, you're packing in yeah. everywhere. Our meals and our mail was delivered by a mule train every week. It was so cool. It was the best And then you, it's like you build a cohort, yeah. right? These people that you'll be friends with all your life. You've been through this experience together. Yeah, it was pretty gnarly. There it's was like some being uh, bunkmates in prison. <laughs> a little bit more freedom, but yeah, you couldn't drink alcohol. <laughs> Yeah, you had to make your own hooch with uh, Kool-Aid and uh, pieces of bread. I know. I was in the military for six years. I probably didn't intend to stay that long, but it was actually, you know, a really rewarding experience. Aside from the tear, you know, I was never in in the shit, as we call it. But, you know, you form those relationships with people that, you know, last your whole lifetime. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for yeah. your service. Uh, well, I didn't do it because I wanted to be thanked. I did it because I had no other choice. We didn't have, uh, you know, you grow up poor, you don't have many options. And yeah. For a lot of people were, you know, in the very poorest county in New York, in far western New York. I think of my high school graduating class of 41, 42 people. At least 10 of them went into the service. That's wow. just kind of the way it went. What branch were you in? Air Force. Okay. Yeah. 
Which we didn't, uh, you know, learn much about soap there, though. <laughs> the manners to get without that on our bivouacs and our uh, mobility exercises. But uh, what, you know, why did you come back to Ojai? What was that all about? Like you were out there on the East Coast and there's so many opportunities and you went to Tufts, which is a pretty prestigious school. Yeah. And what, what did you study undergrad and grad? So yeah, the time at the CCC in Yosemite, I was like very much in tune with nature. So I wanted to find an environmental-based program. So the, the program at Leslie University was you could travel on a bus. Um, for a semester, and so I actually didn't go on the bus, but that's why I sought that school out. <laughs> oh, because that was an option. You thought if this is their curriculum, then they probably are, you know, yeah, it right. They well, they closed the program right when I got there, day oh, one. No. I got in Boston, and they're like, That's I'm false sorry. I know. Pretext. I know, but I still had a great experience, and then, um, and then my whole goal was to. I, I thought I could either become a forest ranger and just live Is out. that what you thought, a forest ranger? I yeah. would have loved to have been a forest ranger. Yeah, that I was either going to be a forest ranger, but um, I did not want to be isolated. I wanted to like have an impact on the world, and so I thought, I'm going to study urban planning. Well, that's a big difference in I know. ranging. It was really optimistic. So when I think urban <laughs> planning, I think I, I think I might have that book around here uh, maybe at the other office. Jane Jacobs, The yeah. Death and Life of Great American Cities. Yep. She talks a lot about Boston and there, North Boston, how these neighborhoods that seem to have no like planning, and yet they have a natural organization and development that goes along to them. And at the street level, but her, she's famous for her quote that the greatness of a city can be measured by how difficult it is to park. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's a perfect, perfect correspondence between, you know, you the greater the city, the more pedestrian friendly it is, mm -hmm. and the more the casual, accidental interactions that happen between people. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's like. That's a big career. That's a wide open field. Yeah, she's Jane Jacobs, um, Rachel Carson. Those are definitely some of my, you know, heroes. Yeah. And it all comes down to the the role of the mother in the family, um, your family network, the role of the home in creating stable environments for your family. And yeah, so the they basic can, organizational you know, unit is the family. Yep. Yeah. So to make sure that they have, your family is well taken care of, has everything that they need to go out and succeed in the world. And so I kind of tried my hand at urban planning and, you know, housing development. And now I'm like, okay, I'm just going to make some for my family and other really? families. <laughs> a so little what, what was your, uh, you know, what job? You said you were an affordable housing planner. Where was, like, some projects that you worked on? Like, what, what did that look like? Because, you know, we desperately need affordable housing here in Ojai. But anything anybody tries to do, I know. I had a friend of mine who has a plan for a five-unit um, complex and without trying to make any money on it, just trying to get it built, it ends up being, like, Four hundred and some thousand dollars a unit per unit. Which, yeah, that's yeah. pretty average. Four hundred and sixty was what we were creeping up to. So um, I actually just resigned with my position at People's Self Help Housing, which is um, 
very bittersweet for me. I love that organization. I'm a huge fan. I love my work. Um, and I don't think I'm done with it completely. I just think for this chapter when my kids yeah. are small. Now, what about um, the pandemic? How, did that play any part in your decision to make your side hustle your main hustle? You know, it might have. Um, Oops. Oops. That was a water bottle for the listeners. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, only spilled about half of it, no big deal. <laughs> yeah, the pandemic, I think um, my husband and I um, were at home with our kids for over a year, and we're like, you know, this is really healthy for us versus me. Like, really? A lot yeah. of people, are, they find it very unhealthy, <laughs> spending so much time with their kids. Goodness. <laughs> well, luckily, my mom lives on our property in a separate unit, and she can help. So this take is your relief. COVID pod. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so we were... Yeah, we're very fortunate to have an amazing setup. Right before COVID, we moved, and we have an amazing setup. So my mom helps care for the children, and they're detached from my husband and I's office, and so we could actually focus on our work. So you're you're both, you and your husband, what does he do? Uh, he's in film. He's oh, in he's film. an editor? Or yeah. Really? Yeah, so he's an so editor he's in Final Colors. Cut Pro and working um, on a Big Mac screen. And oh, yeah, we've got like six screens, like a stupid amount of screens in his office. Yeah. Um, yeah so, but what is he working on now? Anything? Anything fun? Um, he works with on a couple locally produced documentaries with um, Josh and Rebecca Tikal. Oh, uh, Kiss the Ground. Yeah, he's done Kiss the yeah. Ground. Their new feature. He's been with them for about ten years. So basically, everything they've put out, I think he's had a hand yeah, in. Yeah, part of their their crew. Mm-hmm. And he's also does a couple of different um, different uh, TV shows, auto shows. Um, and does his own stuff, too. And what's his own stuff? Um, very exciting. He has a, um, a short film coming out called Loved Ones, and um, it's a thriller. It's about 40 minutes, um, so he's kind of trying to push the curve with a new genre there. To, to yeah. yeah. So if that were adapted for TV, it'd be like an hour-long yeah, drama. Yeah, exactly. So is it episodic, or is he thinking about that at all, or just wants to get the first one done? It was like episodic. A- well, we shot it four years ago, so I keep begging. I'm like, it's done, honey. It's it's done. It's done. There's always something. <laughs> yeah. He promises some this new year. Filter or some quick cut or something you can do there. There's yep. always something. Yep. So he he promises it's going to be done before the end of the year, and yeah, we'll see. So you both work from home and. It just how did it work with your job? With the, this is a nonprofit group, I assume. And where are they? Where are they located? Where's their Where's their headquarters? Uh, people self help. Yeah. Um, headquarters is in Slow. Have an office in Santa Barbara as well as um, we just we they just opened the Ventura office two years ago. I helped open that office. And what is that? What kind of work is that? Are you working with the municipalities on their affordable housing projects and? And how so? What does that look like? Yeah, so um, actually we had five projects going in Ventura County, so this is, I, I'm not working there anymore, so I can just talk freely. Yeah, no NDAs. <laughs> talk smack about them all day. So we have sites in, they People Self Help, sorry, has sites in um, Ventura, Oxnard, Santa Paula right now. Those were my three projects. Um, and they're in various stages of entitlement and funding. And so we've been having a terrible time in the city of Fillmore, just going to say it. People self-help has been having a terrible time in the city of Fillmore. With the uh, city officials or the planners or The just... planning process. 
Yeah. Yeah. And is that uh, more stringent than the county of Ventura? Because I hear people say it's difficult to deal with the county of Ventura. Um, <clears throat> not to, not that there's, you know, the, I've met a couple of the planners, they're very hardworking people and certainly dedicated to the common cause, but Absolutely. there's like layers of paperwork and restrictions and then yeah. you get your, you know, not in my backyard people. I think that's the ticket, right. It's the NIMBYs? Yeah. Yeah. And not necessarily from the community members. Really? Like absentee landlords? I think so. Really? I think there's... good. Fillmore's an interesting place. Um, I think there's definitely a culture of NIMBYism. Um, I mean, they, they were one of the last cities in the country to have Spanish, any kind of Spanish translation. I think really, there's even some, though it's like 60% Hispanic. Yep. Yeah. Not representative of the demographic. Yeah. But, um, yeah, on a positive note, um, projects take a long time. They take a long time to get designed, financed, and, and built. Um, Santa Paula, um, shout out to Jeff Mitchum. He was He's an amazing, and James Mason, they've got a great thing going. Um, and I know the first tiny home community is going up in, in Santa Paula as well. So. Oh, yeah? How many units? Um, I'd have to get Vina in here. Do you know about... Vina Lustada. Yeah. She's she's. She doesn't live here in Ohio anymore, does she? She moved, I thought. She moved. She, they are in Santa Paula and Oakhurst. Oh, okay. So not far away. Not far away. Well, where is Oakhurst? Isn't that up in Bay Area somewhere? Um, right outside Yosemite. Oh, okay. Not near Merced, I guess. Oakhurst, yeah. Who do I know is from Oakhurst? south gate of the park yeah it's yeah. a it's a beautiful area yeah so tiny homes that prompted some controversy here in Ohio. i guess one of the concerns that i felt was fairly legitimate was if they're so mobile then you're not really creating an abode or a, a you know community because people can just pull up stakes and move them and they see fit but on the other hand then you know, it seems if you can have the best of both worlds, have the mobility and like a structured community with a bunch of units and the laundry facilities and common, you know, grounds and stuff that it really, uh, you know, makes it vibrant and diverse and, yeah. and uh, a real community. Yeah, there's a lot of different methods where you where I think tiny homes could be, you know, um, employed to combat our housing issue um that's a whole nother <laughs> a yeah whole nother now, topic. the tiny homes that i've seen were coming in like 60 to seventy five thousand dollars, something like that not any of the siting costs yeah know, i would them. say that's about right and they're really beautiful and they then, are they're really really they're quite attractive you just feel like this uh this uh i'm not sure a good example um Maybe I'm not getting all the details right, but Le Cabousier was this famous architect in the early part of the 20th century, and very influential. He built enormous public projects like the Gare du Nord train station mm -hmm. north of Paris, mm -hmm. the Hall of the Soviets in Moscow, and the Museum of Modern Art in Japan, just 
you know, hundreds of thousands of millions of square feet of for the public space and just yeah. beautifully designed in the city of the future feel to them. Yep. And then he had a property on the Mediterranean on this like peninsula or point or cape going in there that had 270 degree views of the Mediterranean. It was just this beautiful property that used to be some belonged to some Roman senator in the ancient times. And it was like really curious when it came time for him to build his like retirement home after his long and distinguished career, he built basically a box that was like nine by 12. Like, <laughs> and it was just like perfectly engineered for time and motion of how he lived his life. Wow. And the whole point was he didn't want to focus on those things. And it seemed ironic that somebody who built these big public spaces would mm -hmm. want to live in such a tiny home but it made sense when you think of it like he was living in this enormous, yeah. beautiful, mad, majestic scenery. That was his public space. Right, right. So that was the, his home. This was just a machine for living. That's how he looked at it. But yeah, you sound like you went to planning school. <laughs> no, I read *Death and Life of Great American Cities*. Okay. <laughs> Another book that I really enjoyed that talks a lot about those concepts, and probably mm -hmm. you've brushed up against it as a pattern language. Mm -hmm. uh, Christopher Alexander book, which they come out with the new editions every few years. It's basically like a living document of his grad students at the University of Oregon. And, you know, whatever there's, I don't know how many patterns there are, 600 patterns for every conceivable situation in life and as a community. But, uh, I used to, you know, like whenever I stuck for an idea of anything to write about, I'd just open any random page and there'd be something that would give you a launching point for right. looking at society. And he broke it down like the perfect size for a community is about 7,600 people. Oh, And then okay. he discussed all the reasons. Exactly. <laughs> yes, it yeah. is the perfect community. I think that we can do more here to communicate with each other in a friendly manner. That's why we're doing a podcast. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I feel like there's a new, well, I don't feel like there is a new wave of people who have moved into town. Yeah, for And what's sure. your take on that? What do you, what's your hot take on, oh. you know, our new pandemic refugees? It's so hard because it alters the fabric of our community. When you get, you know, people from out of town just paying cash, 50, 50 grand um, over asking cash and these homes that are that were benefiting our local families. Yeah, before. they are driving up the price of the housing stock for yeah. sure. Yeah. And it's not like we have dealt with our affordable housing problem before that. Right. So and it's just compounded. It exacerbates it. Right. Um, so. I mean, the real estate market is going to do what it does. I don't, I don't even, I'm kind of, I'm tired of that from trying to work in affordable housing and getting like 10 units of deed-restricted affordable housing for every, whatever, like 10,000 units of yeah, gone. But I think, market. yeah, I, what was your question? I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, what's your take on the, the new... Uh, the new wave. The, yeah, of these, of these people. I'll tell you just quickly, the ones that I know personally are very switched on. They knew what they were looking for. I think they're going to be great. I think... You know, it's it's a natural consequence, and these are people who very specifically chose Ojai. Right. So I think they're the perfect uh, people to pick up the torch and 
and uh, you know put roll up their sleeves and get busy. Yeah, I think so too. I'm I'm a generally optimistic person, so I think there is you know nat- a healthy healthy balance and natural competition for folks that have been there here forever and don't want to see any change, and the new people coming in that say, hey, you know, it's time to do yeah. X, Y, and Z, and it, that's part of a healthy living community. So yeah, I think we find our sense of identity in that tension. Right. Yeah. But I'm um, I'm happy for the restaurants that are open and the new shops that are focused on, you know, sustainable goods and local makers. Um, our, our business community here is so great. So, um, yeah. So is that, that's a part of the, part of the, of your, uh, you know, business plan has got to be that this is a place where, you know, uh, sustainable locally made products are so valued. Yeah, absolutely. Like when you were doing your research, what what did you, I mean, first, where did you get the idea in the first place? I mean, like, how did that come up to you? Well, we just have, like I said, it all comes back to our local ingredients and, you know, the shop, the native, native plants and chaparral that have so many medicinal uses and then how Ojai attracts these artists that, um, want to use and benefit from the natural environment in a sustainable way, and they just kind of feel like we have that ethos here. So I think we're in a really special place, and um, a lot of people come to visit Ojai and want to take a piece of Ojai with them, and so this is kind of like my idea for people being able to enjoy the scents and the products and the art that's here locally. Yeah. Now, what uh, community communication do you have with your with your vendors is there any time like you get together like uh you know like uh have meetings with group meetings is it all just one-on-one you going around and right now it's one-on-one um it takes a lot of back and forth to figure out the exact product we're going to put in the each monthly box um making sure we have the right number of products and it's fulfilled on a certain date um but in the future, definitely, I think, like, we can all grow as, you know, small businesses, um, hopefully through this company. Grow but, together. Right. So, yeah. Grow together. Yeah. So you're creating demand for these products beyond what they could do for themselves. But also, I feel like it's, uh, you know, part of uh, Ojai's brand. Like, yeah. you're... Promoting Ojai as well as, you know, selling bits of Ojai as well. Because I can't imagine that uh, Barstow soap, uh, you know, Barstow bath products would do as well as like an Ojai. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. It's all like the, the hip places like Mojave. I know Mojave has a great maker's mark market now really? with a lot of local artisans. In Mojave. Uh-huh. Just, you know, I certain places. I think of Mojave as like... Uh, you know, aerospace engineers and inventors and old prospectors. Yeah. Yeah. So combine those two and you get soap. Yeah. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> Maybe not the best way combining them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just the local bath box is, is very fun. It's a passion project and I just hope that um, others begin to enjoy it and um know that it is you know you're getting a gift in the mail every month 
and you don't have to shop on, you know, Amazon or maybe it's one less Target run or one less Rite Aid run for you. So that's the way, yeah. the way I see it. And also um, just that kind of surprise, like, you know, it's like Christmas or a joy of discovery. So they're basically trusting you to curate some some gift experience for them. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and then all of our local makers, they do so well on their own already, like going to all of these markets and they have their own followings. And so the way it's like differentiated through the local bath box is like maybe someone that doesn't shop regularly at the farmer's markets or, you know, gets more high-end products, this, this is kind of getting... Um, and it's not so hit and miss either. Right. Their favorite thing will be... You know, not not they didn't make the a batch of that, or they sold out, or right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, why don't you uh, tell me what you got in this latest box here? Go ahead. You want to open it up? Yeah. So um, I love the ingredients that you were talking about. With, uh, uh, I saw some pixie tangerine disaster something in there? Yeah, so the box was pixie-themed. Um, this box here is just kind of a culmination of some of my favorite items. So there's the the Bogue um, Milk Soap Shave for men. Yeah. Well, I'm not, I'll, I'll use it for the trim and the lines. There you I'm, go. <laughs> my, I've sort of gotten used to my COVID beard now. Okay, that's a bath bomb, and it's amazing. I've tried about 10 bath bombs. And that's one of my faves. I have never tried a bath bomb in my life. Okay, so I recently got my brother to use them, and he's a Marine, so uh, <laughs> men can use them too. Duty? No, he's not. Oh, good. Because uh, if his barracks mates saw him doing that, probably never. <laughs> there might it be. Down. Yeah. yeah um, he held a pig. <laughs> or you can gift it. That's the beauty, right? You can give that oh, bath yeah, bomb to sure someone, right. and someone special. Frankincense, orms, lang lang, clove, patchouli. That's like. So this is this is uh, this Vogue hydrolyzer. Is this like aromatherapy? Yeah, and it's for after you shave. It's you can put on your skin, your shirt. It's very. It's like a a manly kind of grounding, warming scent. Um. And how do you um, these? They provide these products, or do they? Do you do you ever do any like? Customization, like, oh, wouldn't it be cool to, you know, help them with uh, ideas, like, uh, you know, maybe. Not yet. Um, hope to get there. But here's one of the crystal soaps. It's so pretty. It does look like amethyst. Yeah. I don't know what green crystals would be, but that's very pretty. That's after a green quartz, which is a rare gem. But those are just, you know, fun. You can use the crystal points in the shower and you get kind of aromatherapy. Yeah, the problem is it's so pretty nobody's going to have No, come on. You've got to use it. <laughs> they, look like, uh, they look almost like art objects. Yeah, so that's like, it's fun in your, your guest bath too, conversation starter. But that's, I did include a sunscreen in the bath bomb. I wanted to shout out from Salty Bros Soap Co. in Santa Barbara. And that is the best sunscreen ever. So I have one in our diaper bag, one in my husband's truck for when he surfs, in his golf bag, just kind of everywhere to put on your nose and your ears yeah. easily. 100% um, reef safe and supported by mermaids everywhere. 
<laughs> there you go. What more yeah. do you need? Yeah, it's <laughs> testimonial from a mermaid. That'd be quite something. Yeah. So very cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anything else going on? Like, uh, just glad to be out of the affordable housing racket. Yeah, for now. I don't think I'm done. I do. I do have my eyes set on a couple of sites that I think would be cool. So I'm trying to trying to figure that piece out as well. But you here in Ohio. Oh, big secret. <laughs> Are we talking tiny homes or some other kind of construction? Like a combination of makerspace and living space. So yeah, it would be either tiny homes or mod some kind modular of, uh, What are they called? The, v the VMU? The, the, uh, mixed what is use. It? Yeah, what does VMU stand for? I'm totally blanking on that. Um, Village mixed use. There you go. Yeah. Village mixed use. Yeah, I was here when, that first, when they first made that designation and there was a lot of pushback because they thought it was just like, I don't know what people were thinking, sweatshops or something. I don't know <laughs> what the objection was. But I think anything where people can work where they live, it solves like five or six different problems. At yeah, once. it makes Especially life better. Traffic. Especially for yeah. yeah younger and older generations alike. That was one thing from uh, Jane Jacobs' book. She talks about the qualities of village life. Um, and it's like even in the big city, everybody naturally forms into neighborhoods mm -hmm. based on their their pedestrian patterns, mostly, not entirely. But for kids getting out of school to walk by the cobbler shop and see them, and they would always set up in the windows when they're making their shoes and stuff, and just having, you know, eyes on the street makes such a, I mean, it's like what the essence of village life. Right. So you're thinking it'd be like... Uh, your makers and yourself and having your assembly and your your um i guess what, what do you call though of getting uh all the products together and getting them into boxes and get them mailing out that must be fulfillment a, fulfillment Does order fulfillment yeah. yeah shipping and fulfillment um, so does yeah. everybody get get your mom involved in that and not anymore no. I, when i reach 75 i'm like okay i need to hired help and so this month went really smoothly because i had two girls come in and help me with fulfillment yeah. and as we grow of course we're gonna you're gonna need help so yeah i did want to mention that our um fall collection drops in july so that's a couple days away and um it's not going to be on my website but i do have a 10 percent off code for listeners if they're excited okay. i'll put it up in the notes okay um yeah i'll send you an email when i get ready to put this out so yeah sounds good all right. Thank you for having me. I appreciate our conversation today. Yeah. All right, Lauren. It's a pleasure to get to know you a little better and and uh, and your products. Thank you. you. As well. Thank you. Just think it out loud. It's gratifying for me to see people pursue their own dreams and to step boldly into that unknown territory of entrepreneurship. It reminds me of my own journey 11 years ago and how scared and uncertain I was. But I'd read somewhere that for an employee to enjoy the same level of satisfaction as a self-employed person, they'd have to be paid three times as much. In other words, for example, if you were working for someone else, you'd have to make $150,000 a year to enjoy the same level of life satisfaction as a self-employed person making $50,000. The ability to make your own hours, to decide what you'll put up with and what you won't, to wean yourself off the steady diet of daily humiliations and abasement that comes from chasing the paycheck, it's worth a lot. Apparently, at least three times as much. 
Well, that's it for this episode of Ojai Talk of the Town. We'll keep an ear out for you.